There's a tremendous phrase or a tremendous clause in that passage that Marcelo uh, read to us. And it's just the first clause of verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It's tremendous, isn't it? The people of Nineveh trusted God. They believed the word that God had sent by his prophet. Their response, their initial response was far better than Jonah's initial response. His initial response was to run away from God. Their initial response was to run to God. If we were to give one reason why repentance is so lacking in our generation, at least in this part of the world, as uh, we often consider that Western Europe is probably one of the most unchristian, non-Christian parts of uh, this planet at this time. And if we were to give a reason why Western Europe is not engaging in repentance, it is this reason. We don't believe God. We do not believe what God has said. Because evangelical faith will necessarily lead to evangelical repentance. So as we consider this subject uh, this morning, may God bless it to us. It's been almost, um, well, about two and a half years since we looked at this particular uh, subject. I think the last time that we, we delivered a message um, wholly on this subject of repentance was about two and a half years ago uh, as a congregation, at least that I remember. So let's first of all consider the meaning of repentance. The catechism, when the question is asked, what is repentance? The catechism responds with this answer, repentance is an evangelical grace. It is the grace of God to us. But what does it mean in us? The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Two fundamental thoughts in that word. The first one, meta, which we get the English word metamorphosis from, is a dramatic change. A fundamental change from one thing to another. The second part of the word in Greek is the word noia, or uh, the Greek word gnosis, from which we get the word either science or, or knowledge. And therefore we realize that the, the, the root of the word, or the root of the idea of repentance, is a change of mind. The people of Nineveh had a dramatic change of mind. But that change of mind led to a change of action. A dramatic change of action. They were convinced internally and therefore performed externally. So that's the, that's the, the fullness of the meaning of repentance. A change of mind that leads to a change of actions. Repentance in a real sense says, God is right and I am wrong. Or as the Apostle Paul could say, let God be true and every man what? A liar. A liar. And that's why, again, the Apostle John talks about the Son of God coming in 1 John 5 and verse 20. The Son of God has come and has given us or, or granted us an understanding so that we might know Him that is true. 
And that's why John the Baptist, when he saw the Pharisees coming towards him for the baptism, he said, why are you coming? First bring forth fruits worthy or suitable or meet or appropriate for repentance. And again, it's not that John was saying we are saved by our works, but our works manifest the reality of repentance. The fruits are the necessary evidence of a genuine root. So that's the meaning of repentance. But then secondly, let us consider the centrality, the importance of repentance. There are people today, I remember a couple of years ago during lockdown as we were going into the the city center to preach the gospel and we came across this other preacher and he rebuked us for speaking of repentance. Uh, he, He said that we were preaching a false gospel because we were preaching repentance, that we were adding works to the gospel. Well, is that true? Is that preacher right? We, we see this quite often in, uh, in certain fundamentalist-type churches. We've got fundamentalist churches uh, in this city, and they would have this negative attitude or this uh, reaction against speaking of repentance in the context of salvation. In other words, they would say that it's possible to be saved without repentance. It's possible to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and just make that contract with Christ to believe in Him as Savior, but repentance might never come. It's sort of a second blessing. Yes, if if you are unable to repent of your sins, uh, that's a blessing of salvation, but it's not central to salvation. Well, is that what Scripture says? In fact... We see even in the preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark's Gospel. We're working our way through Mark's Gospel at the prayer meeting and in your own preparation for the prayer meeting on Tuesday night. be reading the first few verses of Mark chapter 4. But back in Mark chapter 1, as it talks about the preparation for the coming of Messiah, we read in... Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. This is really important. Because what does it mean when it says that John the Baptist prepared the way for Messiah? It's not a preparation of a place, but a preparation of hearts. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, as we do each Lord's Day, we prepare for the Lord's table with repentance, with an acknowledgement of our sin, with an acknowledgement of our, of our backslidings. We, we, we cry with the psalmist in, in Psalm 130, Lord, from the depths, from the depths, to thee I cried, De profundus, from the depths to thee I cried. And if, if God should count sin against me, Lord, who could stand? But yet with thee forgiveness is, that fear thou mayest be. The reason why so few people today believe in Christ is because they think they don't need repentance. The vast majority of society today, and here's one of the, 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 the strange realities of a society that we live in, that the more sinful it is, the more it thinks It is good. Isn't that that crazy? Think about that. That 
the more sinful a people become, the more they justify themselves. It says of the, the Pharisee in Luke's Gospel that he, he justified himself. He declared himself righteous. People who read Romans 3 where it says, there's none good, there, there's, there's no one who does what is right. They would not see themselves in that category. As you gather in this place today, in this place that for this hour becomes the house of God, where do you see yourself in this? Do you justify yourself? Do you say, well, I'm, I'm not really that bad? And that's why it's good to advance in years, because the older you get, the less you're able to deceive yourself if you're thinking rationally. In fact, we have that in the Gospels, don't we? That when, you know, he is without sin, cast the first stone, it was the oldest who had more of a, a knowledge of their sin. But secondly, on this second point, repentance was central to the mission and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Not, not just central to the preparation of his ministry under John the Baptist, but central to the mission. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ constantly spoke of repentance. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time, just after his baptism, from that time, from that moment, from the beginning, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Central. Absolutely. The, if we could boil down the, 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 the mission of Christ down to one idea, it was to bring people to repentance. And that's why we have in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, these words, but go and learn, and this is where the Lord Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are criticizing him for uh, having fellowship with sinners, so-called sinners. But the Lord Jesus says, Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous or those who think they are righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is really important. Because, yes, Jesus spent time with sinners. But not just as an end in itself. All the time that, and some people say, well, you know, Jesus went to the pub, so I'll go to the pub. And that's the end in itself. No. Yes, Jesus went to these places, but not as an end in itself. He went there to call the people there to repentance. So he didn't become like Woodbine Willie that um, Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks of in the, in the First World War. There was a chaplain that Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks, speaks of in, in the First World War called Woodbine Willie. And, and he was an Anglican minister. And his view was, well, if I smoke like the men, like the soldiers in the, in the trenches, if I drink like the men, if I speak like the men, I will have a, a better um, uh, inroad to them, a better door uh, to them. The problem with Woodbine Willie was, that was the end of it. He just became, rather than him calling them to repentance, he just became like one of them. And that's why Peter puts it this way in Acts 5, verse 31 and 32. 
him that is the Lord Jesus Christ, has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. Why? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. But also repentance was central to the preaching of the apostles. In fact, the Lord in his calling of the apostles and the sending of the apostles, we have these words, Luke 24, verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Again, we see here the centrality of this doctrine of this theme, of this message to the world. When Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and the people say, men and brethren, what shall we do? What's the answer? We, we have heard that our, our sin, so what is the answer? Peter puts it very simply, repent, metanoia. Have a change of mind that leads to a change of actions. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Again, we see it in Acts 3, verse 19. Repent and be converted. Paul understood the importance of this message in Acts chapter 20 as he meets the Ephesian elders for the last time. And as he exhorts them to to shepherd the flock of God, and he gives himself as the example that he held back nothing in verse 20, but declared the whole counsel of God, everything that was beneficial to them. And then he says in verse uh, 21, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, so as... Some people say repentance was just for Israel. No. Testifying both to Jews and to Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the centrality. Centrality to the preparation of the arrival of Messiah, central to the mission of Messiah, central to the message of the apostles. We cannot avoid this doctrine of repentance unless we are not reading our Bibles. And therefore that preacher on Henry Street that told us we were preaching a false gospel was himself stripping the gospel of its central message, which is our need to believe God and to repent of our sins. So thirdly, application. Application. Why do people not repent? We've already answered it in one way. There is a fuller answer. The answer is found in the attitude of man's heart towards God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 2 and verse 4. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. In other words, what Paul identifies is an attitude in the heart of man that sees the patience of God as an opportunity for sin. Well, God is not sending an earthquake like in Turkey upon us. So therefore, let's continue on sinning. Or God's not causing uh, the Tower of Siloam to to fall on me. So let's go on sinning. Or or, or God is, is not every moment coming down from heaven and stopping me in my sin. So let's go on sinning. 
not realizing that the patience of God is an opportunity for repentance that, that many don't experience. The young person who thinks they're flying off to America the next day and drops dead in their own garden. Gone. No more opportunities for repentance. We have, by the goodness of God, even now, God extends to you, even now, an opportunity to repent of your sin, to believe God's word, to believe God's message. If you are outside of Christ at this moment, realize that God is being mercifully patient with your soul. God is extending you the breath in your body as, a, as an opportunity to repent of your sin and to believe in God's word. You see, repentance and its absence from the heart of man is much deeper than the excuse that's often given. Well, if we knew there was a God, if we knew there was a, a heaven, a hell, and so on, if we knew these things, we would really repent. But when we realize that in Revelation, when it talks about Christ appearing and the, the kings of the earth still not repenting, but calling the rocks to fall upon them in Revelation 16 from verse 9, and they, they see him, but still don't repent. When we realize that even in hell, there will be no repentance. Think about this. This is how depraved the heart of man is. That if all the people in hell were brought out of hell at this moment and put back on earth, they still wouldn't repent. They would still live a life of sin and rebellion against God. The absence of repentance is not the absence of evidence. It is the absence of its possibility from the heart of a rebel. The rebel that says, I will not have this God to reign over me. And I would rather spend eternity in hell than acknowledge Christ. That's the heart of man. That's how wicked we are by nature. And that is the impossibility of repentance apart from the grace of God. And that's why when our catechism is defining repentance, it doesn't define it first and foremost as a work of man, but as a work of God. It's a work of God in man and that's why the reason if you have repented the reason you have repented is because God has worked repentance in your soul and you see that's why the Arminian brother on Henry Street doesn't even understand repentance because he thinks of repentance as a human work he thinks of repentance as something we do. No, repentance is some that, something that unless God does in your soul, you will never repent. I hope we understand that. I hope we get that because that is the real application of what we call Calvinism, isn't it? That's the, the fundamental difference between Arminian heresy and Calvinistic truth between the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of the Bible, and the doctrines of man. Back in the Reformation, it was Rome that was uh, the Arminians. They were, they, they were the ones who believed in the works of man. They were the ones who believed in the, in the acts of man to save man. And it was the, the Reformed, the Calvinists, who said, no, 
Salvation is all the work of God. And that's why Jonah is brought to that conclusion in, in chapter 2, verse 9, that salvation is of the Lord. It's all of God from beginning to end. I've jumped ahead, ahead of myself, but let's just give you the outline. What therefore makes the difference? Second sub-point under point three. What, what is it that makes the difference? It is the gift of God. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must gently instruct those that oppose themselves if peradventure or if perhaps God will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So the reason we, we don't quarrel, the, the reason that we, that we don't uh, quarrel is because we realize it's, it's not my work. I don't get all hot under the collar trying to convert somebody because I, I cannot convert anybody. It's only the Lord that can do it. You know, when, when Robert Murray McShane, and you know, it's amazing how the Lord uses events to keep us humble. McShane loved, uh, had a desire to see the, the conversion of the Jews, and he, he went away, and as we know about McShane, he was a great preacher of the Word of God, but it was in his absence, and while another preacher was basically filling in for McShane, that's when revival came. And there's no doubt that part of God's purpose was to keep McShane humble, to realize, no, it's not a great preacher that saves people. It's a great God that saves people. And McShane came back and rejoiced that God had done this great work. But what are the means that God uses? And again, as we're having this discussion about um, what's happening in Kentucky at the moment, what are the means that God uses? And the means, first and foremost, is the Word of God. So in Luke chapter 16, when um, Lazarus is, and again, Lazarus is being, or sorry, the rich man, I should say, the rich man as he's in hell, and as he's talking to Abraham, and as he's saying, well, if one goes back to them from the dead, you know what he's trying to do. He's saying, well, well I can go back to my brothers. He's not thinking of his brothers at all. He's, he's trying to pull the wool over Abraham's eyes and saying, well, if I go back, I can tell them about this. He's lying. He's just looking after himself. What's the response of Abraham? They have Moses. And they have the prophets. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not believe even if someone was to be raised from the dead. So when people say to you, and people close to me, family and friends, have often said, well, you know, no one ever came back to tell us. Even if someone did, even if 500 were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Because the problem's in the heart. The problem is in the heart. There's the heart, Scripture. <laughs> it's in the mind. But generally it's the Word of God, but specifically it is the warnings of His Word. It is the warnings of His Word. Um, Benny was mentioning Luke 13 earlier. And, and the Lord Jesus, and as our brother Marcelo often reminds us, let's be specific. I think he, he hinted at that as well today, even earlier on. We can speak about sin generally, but we need to be specific. And Christ is specific. He says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise in the same way perish. As we mentioned last week, some people have this crazy idea that in, in the Old Testament we have one type of God, and in the New Testament a different type of God. There's no difference. 
That is a fabrication. That is a made-up God. In fact, there are two different gods completely made up because God in the Old Testament was not just a God of wrath and God in the New Testament is not just a God of love. He is the God who is all of these things in himself. So generally God uses the word of God, specifically the warnings of the word. And that's an act of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke much more about the dangers of hell in the gospels than he spoke about the blessings of glory. So first and foremost, on the 5th of May, 1985, the the night I was converted, there was one thing that converted my soul. And it was the reality of hell. I knew if I died that moment, I would. And I, I had a sense, and we have a little ledge here, I had a sense. I can almost visualize myself. I'm trying to fall over. Uh, I, had a, I, I visualized myself on the precipice of hell. Right on the edge. And ready to fall in. That, that was... That was how I envisioned where I was. That's a good thing. There was, there was no sense of, oh, I, I just want to go to heaven. I had no sense of that. I had no sense of, oh, how wonderful heaven will be. The only thought in my mind was, I'm going to hell. I, I'm damned if I die in this state. That's a good thing. That's where we begin. That's the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Escape. Why will you die in your sins? Escape the judgment. So the gift of God in giving His word and in giving His warnings. But then experientially causing Godly sorrow in his people. Causing godly... The Lord works a godly sorrow into our souls. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So Judas had a sorrow. But it was the sorrow of the world. We need a godly sorrow. Of course we have not only the gift of God, but the the will of God. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9 it says, The Lord is not... Slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, the usward, it applies to the elect, that verse. There's only one interpretation that's sufficient for that verse. The will of God is that all the, repent, all the elect repent of their sin. That's what the verse means. He's long-suffering to usward, to the elect, not willing that any of the elect should perish, but that all of the elect should come to repentance and the acknowledgement of the truth. The will of God is that all his people be saved by the means of repentance. And then lastly, I said I'd be brief this morning. <laughs> Lastly, it's consequence. The consequence of repentance. Joy. Joy. I read on social media the last um, day, sin brings misery. Repentance brings joy. It's a foolish thing to live in sin. It's a foolish thing. And even young people know this. 
Sin makes us miserable. Yes, it will. It, certain sins will bring pleasure for a moment, but inevitably it brings misery. So realize how cancerous sin is to your soul. The wrath that it brings to your soul. And the joy that repentance brings. It brings joy in heaven. And again, we often think of numbers, but it says in, in Luke, and Luke is the gospel of repentance. Notice how many times I've quoted from Luke. If you want to understand repentance, read the gospel of Luke. It's one of the, the themes of Luke's gospel. The Lord Jesus says in Luke 15, verse 10, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. But there's also joy for other believers in the world as we, and again, this is something, there's, there's lots of things on my mind that I'm not actually communicating this morning. I, I probably would need about four or five hours just to, to express all that is in my mind on this subject. One of the really dangerous things in this subject is that you become individualistic on this. What do I mean by that? I mean that you live your life as like an island. Well, it's all about my relationship with God and me becoming, you know, a holy person, me becoming a really righteous person. And what happens inevitably is you enter into competition. You see other Christians as your competitors rather than as you being part of that body. And that, and this is, I, I don't know how to express this as clearly as I want to. But avoid all forms of sort of religiosity that will bring you down this sort of me and God on our own sort of road. That's not the will of God. One of the reasons why God works repentance in your soul is to be a joy to other believers. It's part of the body relationship. Don't be an island. Don't be an individual. Don't go the way of the world and don't go the way of most churches. Don't be self-sufficient. Because the Lord will often withhold repentance from you if, you if you go down that road. To bring you to your knees and realize your need for his people. The, the, the need that we have for each other. We're not here to impress each other. We're not here to say, oh, look how holy I am. That's, that's the Pharisee religion. That's the self-righteous religion. Look at how good I am. None of us are the standard. There's nobody in this place. The minister is certainly not the standard. None of us are the standard of holiness. None of us are the standard of repentance. And no one is to be elevated and say, Oh, you know, a great man of God, a great woman of God. What nonsense. Absolute nonsense. There's one Savior and we are the ones who are being saved. We need to understand the body principle in all of these areas. And of course, it is joy in the one that repents. So it's joy in heaven, it's joy in other believers. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9. Did I quote that? Maybe not. Now I rejoice, says Paul, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. But... Joy in the one that repents. So Psalm 51 and verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Isn't this wonderful? The same God. The same God who breaks me. The same God that breaks me. Is the same God that makes me. The same God that brings me. Down to the very depths. Is the God who lifts me up. With the joy of the redeemed. He's the same God. He's the God of repentance. He's the God of sorrow. 
He's the God of salvation. He's the God of mercy. He's all in all to the believing soul. We find everything in Him. We find our completeness in Him. We find our joy in Him. And that's why the psalmist in Psalm 40 could say these words, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And He put a new song in my mouth, even joy to the Lord, praise to our God. And many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Listen, be patient. God is patient. Be patient when you think of your loved ones who are not yet saved. They are looking at you. Be patient. Many shall see it and shall fear. It might take decades. Keep praying for your family. Keep praying for your friends. Keep praying for those who know you, that your little life may be the means of their salvation because they will see you over many years and what God has done in you. And they will not be able to deny the work of God in your soul. But God will use that means to bring them to salvation. Don't give up. Don't give up. On the promises of God. Some closing counsels. Some closing counsels. First of all, repentance is not an option, it's a command. Acts 17, verse 30 God now commandeth all men everywhere. To repent. Again, secondly, we must repent not just in general terms, but of specific sins. Identify the sins and repent of those specific sins. Name those sins. Whether it be pride, whether it be covetousness, whether it be lust, whether it be anger, whatever the sin is, name the sin and say, Lord, I am the sinner. And don't say, as one preacher put it so well, well, I don't know what got into me. Nothing got into you. Something came out of you. When you commit those sins, that is what you are. Acknowledge what you are face what you are confront what you are stand with God and agree with God about what you really are that is essential to repentance thirdly we are to be like God and here's another big subject that's big on my mind at the moment Forgiving those just like God does. And again, understand this. God only forgives those that repent. This modern idea, and I see it constantly, whether on social media, and I hear it from Christians, every oh, we just forgive everybody. That is not biblical. That's not what God does. In fact, the Lord Jesus in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4 The Lord Jesus says, and read the verses carefully, it's only when somebody repents, then are they forgiven, because otherwise forgiveness means nothing. Because you cannot give, and again, the the clue is 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 in the word, because forgiveness is something that's given, but you can't give something to somebody who doesn't want it. Do you understand that? Now that's different. Now, Really understand this because it, 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 it bugs me if I can put it in blunt terms. The way people say these things and they're trying to be nice. It's one of the dangers, you know. 
don't be nice, be biblical. Don't be, don't be nice, be, do what the scripture says. Don't be more spiritual than God. Do you get that? Oh, well, God doesn't forgive everybody, but I do. You know, are you better than God? No. Such nonsense. Yes, the scripture does says the scripture does say don't have a root of bitterness. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. Don't confuse the two. I shouldn't have bitterness in my soul to anybody. But that's not forgiveness. That's the readiness to forgive. So think about the person who's done some of the worst things against you in your life. You're not bitter towards them. You haven't yet forgiven them because they haven't sought your forgiveness. But you're ready, if they were to run in that door at this moment and, and fall down before you and say, brother, sister, I have done this, and you would embrace them and say, it's forgotten. It's gone. Because forgiveness is something you give to somebody else when they desire it, when they need it. Not till then. Don't confuse the two ideas. There's another one off my chest. (laughs) A final encouragement. God is patient with us. As many as I love, Revelation 3, verse 19, as many as I love, God doesn't love everybody. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous therefore and repent. God loves you if you're a child of God. And therefore use this as an encouragement to do what God wants you to do and to repent of your sin. Come to the Lord's table this morning in fresh repentance, in fresh faith, knowing that God has loved you by giving you faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance toward God. And be encouraged that God has set his love upon you in Jesus Christ. At the end of Jonah, look what it says in verse 10 of chapter 3. Verse 9 says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. There's another thing here as we close. There's there's not a contradiction, but there's a contrast between God's revealed will and God's hidden will. God's revealed will was this, that Nineveh was going to perish. Was God wrong? No, that's what God said would happen. That's what he revealed. But that's not what happened. Because God's sovereign hidden will was that his revealed will would lead them to salvation. Never one closing application. As I said, so much in my heart on this. Never use the hidden will of God as your compass in this. Take what God has said and that all that repent and all that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't try and figure out, well, am I one of the elect? No, you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy just thinking on that level. Don't take the hidden will of God as your compass. Take the revealed will of God as your compass. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and you shall be saved. That's because the revealed will of God leads us to God's mercy. But may God bless his word to our souls. Amen. Let's uh, sing from Psalm 40.
Psalm 40 will sing from verse 1 to verse 4. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay. And on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. We'll stand to sing Psalm 40 verses 1 to 4. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear at to me he the name of our God that we have the means of grace in the very words the very message that God has given to his people Father we pray that as we come now to the Lord's table we would do so with the joy that is in heaven the joy of the church and the joy of every soul that truly repents not perfectly in this world but knows a measure of that gift of grace that God has given to his people. Bless us now as we approach this table of communion in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please.